Hello and welcome to Bible 101. This will be lesson number 21 in our Bible 101 series. In the last lesson we talked about King Saul. We talked about his uprising and his downfalling and the early rise of David, soon to be king. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Precious Jesus, we ask you today to speak to our hearts and souls. Please lead and guide me by your spirit, I pray. Lord, direct me as I teach. Speak to every heart and soul that's listening to me, God, and help them to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. This is where we're going to pick up. In the last lesson, we ended by saying that David was selected to play the harp to Saul. And when he would play the harp before Saul, the evil spirit would temporarily depart from Saul. And uh, David somehow was noticed... Uh, as a man that was a very brave man, as a man that was a cunning uh, man, he was a cunning warrior, and how this was noticed is miraculous because he was in the backside of a desert watching his father's flock. Now, he could have gotten a bad attitude because after he got anointed, he could have said, Now, Dad, I'm anointed. You don't understand here. The prophet Samuel anointed me to be the next king. What are you doing sending me back out to watch over the flocks? But he kept a good attitude. Now, this is so important. And I'm sure that God was watching that attitude. It was important that David would keep a right spirit. And he did. He went back and he kept watch over his father's flocks. And uh, chapter number 17 and verse number 1 says this, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belonging to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now how tall is this? Uh, some men say it was about seven foot tall. Some men say it was as high as nine feet tall. And then it says this, and had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Now that's one heavy coat. And he had greaves of brass uh, upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. That's also important. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Uh, something that I may have brought out in a previous lesson, but when God spoke to Abraham, he said, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. That word curse is the same word that, uh, that Goliath uses here uh, in defy. And uh, I heard a man use that one time. I haven't had time to go back and check the sources, so you may prove that wrong. But this is what that man said, and I thought it was an interesting fact. But there's several things to notice here. Uh, 
the Philistine is trying to make a bargain with them, and he's saying, instead of coming out and fighting this big battle, just send the best warrior down to me, and if I fight with him and I kill him, you have to be our servants, but then the vice versa. And uh, several things to notice here. There was no reason for them to have to meet this bargain. Uh, there was no reason for them to have to accept this challenge. They could have just gone in and fought the battle against the Philistines, but they were afraid. For whatever reason, they allowed the enemy to paralyze them with fear. And so many times I've seen people allow the devil to do this to them. Uh, he paralyzes them with fear. I've seen people that literally lost their mind because the devil paralyzed them with fear. And can I just say this to you today, that the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7 says, For God is not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of sound mind. Uh, don't allow the devil to play mind games with you. They, the old saying is, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. Don't allow the devil to play games with your mind, because you'll never win a mind battle with the devil. He's too smart. Uh, he knows the human mind. He's examined it for thousands of years. Don't play mind games with the devil. And so this is exactly what's happening here, is that this Philistine got into their heads, and he's playing mind games with them. I'll never forget a story I heard Brother Carlton Watkins, who has passed away now, a great man of God that I had a lot of love and respect for. He meant a lot to me and my wife personally. But I'll never forget him telling a story about a chess game. He preached a message years ago called That Trash-Talking Devil. And he had a very unique preaching style. So those of you out there that know who Brother Carlton Watkins is, he probably smiled at that title because that's just the way he thought. And uh, he, he mentioned the fact that he challenged this man to a game of chess. And he said, I knew the man was better at chess than me. And uh, he said that this, this man had beaten everybody he had played. He had never lost a chess game. And uh, he said that he sat down and he said, I know I can't, in his, in his mind anyway, he's thinking, I know I can't beat him naturally. I'm going to have to get in his head. So the first thing he did was he said, I set up all my pieces wrong. And I did it on purpose. And he said, the guy looked at me and he said, no, 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 Brother Watkins, that's not the way you set up your pieces. You, you set them up wrong. Here, let me help you. And Brother Watkins said, no, you're wrong. I set up the pieces correctly. He said, no, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. And he said, I argued with him. And I want to say it was about an hour. And he said, I got the man so flustered and frustrated and angry. And he said, finally, I said, okay, okay, we'll just play your way. Here, I'll set them up the way you say I'm supposed to set them up. He said, well, when I did that, I'd got him so flustered that I got into his mind and he said I easily beat him. And that's kind of the way that uh, the story goes here is that Goliath had gotten into the mind of the Israelites. It's not just the fact that he was so big and so strong. It's that uh, his size allowed in, 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 in the force of his words allowed him to get into the heads of the Israelites. And so this is how David finds them. Later on David is sent uh, to uh, go to his elder brothers and defeat them. And uh, this is what I want to skip down to verse number 14. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, or to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul, and they, and all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. Now several things I want to point out here. 
Remember, David had been anointed king. Really, this was kind of a stupid errand. Because he has the anointing of God upon him. He's destined to be the next king. And yet his father sends him on this stupid little errand to go and take these ten cheeses uh, to his... his uh, to. Uh, to the captain of their thousand, and, and look how the brethren uh, were doing. And so he sends him on this little petty little errand. David could have said, I'm supposed to be the next king. Dad, how dare you tell me to go run this stupid errand? I refuse to do it. But David obeyed. Once again, can I speak to that person that you may feel like your life is monotonous, and you may feel like everything's tedious, and you're not really getting anywhere with life, but if you just obey your leader in the small things, maybe your pastor, a young person, it may be your parents, but if you just keep obeying and you stay faithful, God will always honor submission. And even if you don't understand, that's when the real test of submission uh, will be presented to you, is when you don't understand what you're being commanded to do, but you do it anyway. David probably didn't understand this too well, but he did it anyway. And and I want you to notice what happens here when he obeys his dad and he goes on this little errand. Little did he know this was a moment of destiny. If he had not obeyed his dad and if he had gotten a bad attitude, he would have totally missed the opportunity for a complete life change. And so this is what it says. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the trench as the host uh, was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Okay, and the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killed him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliam's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Now why was Eliab so mad at David? I'll tell you why. Because his conscience was bothering him. Here's David, this young little man that's just been out there feeding his father's sheep. Now already Eliab's been rejected by the prophet Samuel, and David's been anointed right in front of Eliab. And Eliab's already jealous of David, and now he sees the boldness, the brassness that's within his brother David. He's ran and trembled in fear over Goliath's words, but here's David, his younger brother, this little pipsqueak, if you will, that just comes up and starts asking about the reward. And there could be various reasons why David's asking about this, but I'm not going to get into all that. But Eliab's bothered by this. He doesn't like the fact that David's actually thinking about going out against that Philistine because it pricked his conscience. And so the first words out of his mouth is words of accusation. Can I just say this? If you're going to ever do anything for God, you're going to be accused of doing it for the wrong reason. 
Uh, how many times have I seen this come to pass? The greatest men of God that I've ever known and greatest women of God were people that were highly misunderstood. Because if you're ever going to make a difference in your world, you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be falsely accused. You're going to have people misread your motives and intentions. But don't get discouraged. Keep the faith and just keep doing what's right. And this is what David does. Notice his response. He says this, and David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause. Now, there's several things to notice here. What have I now done? This probably isn't the first time he had been accused. And then he says, is there not a cause? Uh, that kind of reminds me of the words of Jesus when Pilate said, are thou a king then? And he says, you say rightly that I'm a king. He said, for this cause was I born and for this cause came I into this world. David is saying, is there not a cause? This, this devil, this Goliath, this Philistine, he's, and notice what he says. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Backing up to verse number uh, 26, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't look at his size. He didn't call him a giant. You know what he did? He looked at him and he said, who is this person that's not in covenant? Because remember, the, the circumcision was the sign of the covenant. And David said, the only thing I see here is not his size, and it's not his armor, and it's not his, his, uh, uh, it's not his abilities, but I see the fact he's not in covenant with God, and he's defying, he's cursing the people of God. So David wasn't bothered by his size. And he turned from him, this is verse 30 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words which were heard which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul, and he sent for him. Now remember, Saul is head and shoulders above all the children of Israel. If anybody was supposed to go out against Goliath to fight the battle, it ought to have been Saul. But Saul is scared to death, hiding in his tent, and so he kind of uh, gives this guise of bravery by saying, I tell you what, the man that takes on this Philistine, I'll reward him greatly, and I'll do this and this and this. But really all it was is for a way for Saul to hide behind his fear. And so when David comes before Saul, this is what it says, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Oh, I can't go past that. Notice what he said here. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. The ESV says, thy, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Now wait a minute. Remember what Jesse had said. Let's back up. Verse 17. Let's go back to the commandment of Jesse. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah for this, of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of the thousands, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Okay? And uh, remember, though, Jesse had expected him to take uh, the bread to his brethren, but he also expected him to return. Okay, now that's an important point. He told him to take it, but he's expecting him to come back. But notice what David tells Saul. He said, thy servant kept, past tense, thy father's sheep. In other words, he said, 
I used to keep my father's sheep. Now, technically, David was still supposed to keep his father's sheep. He was supposed to go back, but David recognized his moment of destiny. And this is so powerful. And David said, you know what? I recognize God set this up. This, this may have seemed like a simple little task and a little errand, but God has ordained this moment. I used to keep my father's sheep, but I'm not going back there anymore. I recognize this moment of destiny. I'm reminded in the New Testament of the story of blind Bartimaeus. The Bible says he cried out after Jesus and he said, uh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him, be quiet, Bartimaeus, shut up. And he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now he was, he was a blind beggar and the people kept trying to say, shut up, the master doesn't have time for you. But finally Jesus heard him and he said, uh, bring him to me. And so they said, cheer up, Bartimaeus. He said, the, the master calleth you. And so Bartimaeus, when he got up, threw off his beggar's cloak and went to Jesus and he got his miracle. Can I tell you, he went in faith. He saw the moment of destiny and he left that coat off because he said, I see that Jesus is calling for me. I'm about to get my miracle. And David here is saying, I used to keep my father's sheep, but this is a moment of destiny. I'm not going back to those flocks because this is the moment that I've been waiting for. Okay, and notice what it says this uh, next. It says in verse 34, thy servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Oh, there's so much here. There's a reason I'm going verse by verse through this passage because there are so many uh, important points to be made about the story of David and Goliath. Specifically, notice what this says here. Verse 34, back up again. Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb. I want you just to say that with me right now, if, if you're in the place where you can say it. A lamb, singular, a lamb out of the flock. Now, why is that important? Here's the reason it's important. David has been anointed to be the next king. You might say, well, when did this take place? Did this take place before or after the anointing? I believe it took place after the anointing, but whatever you believe about that is fine. We're not told specifically. But he said, there was a point in time, he said, I kept my father's sheep. A lion and a bear rose up and took a lamb, singular, out of the flock. And he said, now... Let me let me just put it this way. The normal average shepherd would say, well, there goes the lamb. Uh, I guess I will never get that one back. But David recognized something. If I let that lion get away with one lamb, and if I let that bear get away with one lamb, he's coming back, and he's going to get another one, and he's going to get another one, and he's going to get another one. And so he said, if I don't fight for this one here and now, uh, I'm going to lose my entire flock. And so David was tested with just sheep before he could be tested with people. Because if he had not first been tested uh, with just a singular lamb, and if he had not been willing to fight a battle over a singular lamb, guess what? He wouldn't have been willing to fight a battle uh, with Goliath over the children of Israel. He wouldn't have been able to stand up against uh, the enemies of Israel later on when he would become their king and go before them and fight in battle. I'm also reminded of the story of Moses. So often Moses is condemned, and rightfully so. He made the wrong decision, but when he saw the 
Egyptian smiting the Hebrew slave, uh, he stood up and killed the Egyptian. Now, I know he's condemned for this, and I know it wouldn't have been the right thing for him to do, and maybe his motivations were wrong, but that, what, one thing that does tell me is that he was willing to fight for just one of his brethren. And later on, that would, uh, that would prove his character, because he would be willing to fight for all the children of Israel. And he would plead the case of Israel before God. Well, here, David was willing to fight for just one lamb. And because of that, God said, I see a heart in that young man that I can use to be my king. Because if he'll fight for one, he'll fight for all. All right, there's so many powerful things here. And it says... Um, Thy servant slew, verse, verse 36 of 1 Samuel 17, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go. Uh, for he had not proved it. In other words, he refused to go with the armor because he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. That word proved means tested. He could not go in somebody else's armor. Oh, this is so good. Because, stop and think about this. Uh, David had to go as a shepherd because that's how the Lord had found him. Let me just say this. You'll never be more than what God created you to be. Don't try to go as a warrior if you're just a shepherd. Because if you try to fight the battle with somebody else's armor, you're going to lose every time. Uh, be happy and content with what God made you to be. Uh, I see so many people trying to be singers when God didn't give them that ability. I see so many people trying to be great orators when God didn't give you that ability. I see so many people trying to do things that God didn't give them the ability to do. But find your talent. Find your niche in God. Find out what God gave you and use that for His glory. I'm reminded of the story of the, the lad that had five loaves and two small fish. And, and, and the disciples said, what are they among so many? But Jesus did take the loaves and fishes and he fed the 5,000, but he needed somebody to give him their little bit so he could feed a bunch. And let me just say this, your talent may look small, it may look little, but don't do like that parable of the man that had the one talent took and buried it in the earth. Take that one talent, maybe you've only got one talent as opposed to others that have ten and five, but take that one talent and, and do something with it. Don't hide it in the earth, do something with it. Okay, and so he couldn't go in somebody else's armor. He had to go the way God had called him, so he went as a shepherd. Verse 40, And he took his staff in his hand, and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had, even in a script, and a sling which was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now why five? Why did he take five? I've heard a lot of different things that people have said about taking five. One man said it this way. He said Goliath had brothers. And just in case his brother showed up, David took those five stones. He said the one's for Goliath and the four is for his brethren. Uh, other people have said 
uh, that uh, maybe he took it because just in case he missed with that first one, he'd get him with the second. If he missed with the second, he'd get him with the third. And if he missed with the third, he'd get him with the fourth. Whatever the reasons, he took five smooth stones. And, and there's so much preaching material in this, so you'll have to excuse me. But five smooth stones, smooth uh, stones that had been in the water for a great period of time. And stones that I believe were stones of destiny that had been sitting there. They were smooth. They were ones that could be used in a sling. They had been sitting there waiting for just this task, uh, for David to use them to kill Goliath. Oh, there's so much, so many powerful points in this. And then it says, And the Philistine came on, this is verse 41, and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. So really, this was two against one. It wasn't a fair fight. But but uh, what they didn't realize is that it really wasn't a fair fight because David had God on his side. Uh, and it says... Um, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, I, I love how it says that, he looked about. In other words, he's kind of looking left and right. Where's my challenger? Where's my challenger? They said I had a challenger. And finally, he looks down far enough to where he sees little tiny David. And he says, and Saul David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give Give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now, before I read the next verse, I want to, to put a point in your mind. Because this is one of the most powerful points in this chapter. Remember, the agreement was with Goliath. He said, if you come up against me and fight with me and you send me a challenger, he said, if I kill him, you're our subjects. If he kills me, uh, the Philistines will become your subjects. But watch what David says. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine hand from thee, or thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now notice what he said. He said, we haven't just come to, to kill you and then to, to force the Philistines to be our subjects. We're going to kill every stinking Philistine out here today. He said, I'm not making no bargain with hell. I'm not making a bargain with the devil. He said, I'm not making a bargain with you uncircumcised Philistines because you're not even in covenant. And I know I can't trust you to keep your end of the deal. So every last one of you is coming down. Okay, and then it says this in verse 48, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. I heard one man preach a message that it says, Goliath fell uh, when a stone hit his head. And he said, the, the quickest way uh, for you to fall is for something to get in your mind. Okay, there's there's so much preaching material. I've heard probably more messages preached on 1 Samuel chapter 17 than almost any other chapter in the Bible. And then it says this, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword. Whose sword? Goliath's sword. David didn't need his own sword. He just used the enemy's sword against him. And drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they came to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. 
and he wounded uh, and the and, excuse me and the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shereem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned after chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his arm in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, and the head of the Philistine is in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Alright, now there's so many different things to talk about, but I want to end this lesson by talking about the next chapter, chapter 18, uh, verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house. So David prophesied when he said, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, because he never went back. And then it says this, uh, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now that's pretty powerful because Jonathan, the son of Saul, was supposed to inherit the throne. But he took off that robe, that robe of a priest, and gave it to David, uh, excuse me, not priest, uh, prince. That robe of a prince and gave it unto David. And this was prophetic because David would take the place of Jonathan as the next king in line. And then verse number 5, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Okay, and then it says this, uh, and what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Okay, and then after this, he's going to continually attempt to kill King David. And in the rest of this chapter, uh, he attempts to kill King David by throwing a javelin at him. Uh, because uh, David was playing his heart, just as he had done many times before, and the evil spirit had come upon Saul. But this time, instead of it departing from Saul, it came upon him, and it drove him to drive that javelin, or to throw that javelin at David, and David barely escaped. Uh, and then it tells us that Saul's daughter, Merab, was uh, supposed to be given unto David. Uh, and there was an agreement made, but Saul didn't keep his end of the agreement. And there's lots of things that can be said about that. And uh, But it says the agreement basically was that 100 uh, foreskins were supposed to be provided to Saul and in exchange for him giving his oldest daughter, Merab, unto him as wife. Uh, David went and he, he killed 200 and he brought him back to Saul. But Saul did not keep his end of the bargain. It says this, uh, the end of the chapter, and it says, verse number uh, 28, And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. 
Okay, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into the next chapter just yet, because there's so much with the life of David. I'm probably going to devote several lessons just to David himself. Uh, but in this chapter we see that God has started to bless David, and Saul has become jealous of him. But David just keeps behaving himself wisely. And can I say, you may be uh, persecuted, you may have adversaries that are speaking against you, lying about you, because if you're ever going to do anything for God, you're going to have people lying about you. But just keep behaving yourself wisely. Uh, let not your good be evil spoken of. And handle yourself wisely. And God will bless you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to study the Word of God. Thank you for everything you've talked to us about today. Continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, continue to guide us. Help us to be like David. Sometimes we may be given menial tasks, but help us to just be submitted and just keep obeying. And even when adversaries come against us, and even when we're falsely accused, help us, Lord Jesus, to keep staying faithful and to behave ourselves wisely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.